Welcome to the Lacey School of Business podcast channel. In this episode, we will listen to a pre-recorded panel discussion presented by the Butler University MBA alumni community. Tune in as our panel of local business leaders share their perspectives on resilient leadership. We will explore topics like maintaining employee morale during a crisis, leadership skills to lean on during challenging times, and strategies for preparing your organization for success in all environments. Here is Tom Kurbowski, Communications Chair of the Butler MBA Alumni Community, to introduce our featured panelists. And so it is my pleasure to introduce the three panelists who are going to be part of our, our panel discussion this evening, as well as our moderator. And so the first panelist I would like to introduce is David Dreeth. And so David is the president and CEO of Easter Seals Crossroads. And he's been in that position since, 20, since March of 2020. And before that, he spent quite a bit of time uh, with Easter Seals in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has led many efforts throughout his career to help people with disabilities to make sure that they can access and contribute uh, within the communities where they live. Uh, David is a graduate from Stanford University with a degree of me in mechanical engineering. So David, welcome. I'd also like to introduce Heather Haas. Heather is the president of Advisa, and Advisa does a range of activities uh, from talent optimization, sales training, as well as executive coaching as well. And her efforts have helped leaders to optimize their talent based on trust as well as shared purpose. Uh, Heather is a graduate from Indiana University with an elementary education degree, and she has a wealth of experience both in teaching as well as in business. So Heather, welcome. Thank you. Our, our final panelist is Mark Minner. Uh, Mark uh, is a Butler graduate of 2012. He is the president of First Person, and First Person provides benefit and compensation strategies uh, to his customers, to his clients. Uh, if his voice sounds familiar uh, on our, our Zoom here this evening, uh, you've probably heard his voice if you listen to the uh, Butler basketball broadcast. And so Mark, since 2013, has been the play-by-play -play announcer for the M Butler men's basketball team. Uh, as I mentioned, Mark is a graduate from Butler. He has dual degrees in both marketing as well as electronic communication. So Mark, thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Appreciate it. Very good. Last but not least, I would like to introduce Dean Hillary Buttrick. And so uh, Hillary is the Dean of the Lacey School of Business here at Butler, uh, very effective in that role. Uh, she is also a, an associate professor in business law here at Butler as well. And she regularly teaches courses in business law and business ethics and leads the Lacey School of Business Ethics series uh, in addition to her responsibility as the Dean of the Lacey School. So before joining Butler, Hillary practiced law at Ice Miller here in Indianapolis. She has an undergraduate degree from DePaul University and her law degree from IU. So, so Hillary, thank you for being the moderator for our group discussion here uh, this evening. And so thank Hillary, you. without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to you. Great, thank you so much. Welcome to everyone and Heather, David and Mark, it's a pleasure to speak with you this evening. I'd like to remind everyone that the Q&A is open, so feel free to type your questions in and I will work those in as we go. We have a number of great questions that we have uh, received from 
you, the participants, ahead of time. And so I've taken a minute to kind of go through those and organize those questions. And they kind of fall within three buckets, uh, leading an organization in challenging times, leading a team in challenging times, and leadership growth in challenging times. So I want to start by focusing on uh, that first group of questions, leading an organization in challenging times. Of course, we know now we're in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, we know we have a lot of economic uncertainty. So this is indeed, um, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but it is an unprecedented time and something that you know none of us have really experienced before. And so I would love to ask our panelists about leading their organizations, and in particular, um, how the strategic priorities of their organization have um, shifted or adjusted or perhaps stayed the same. So I wonder if Heather, you could answer that question for us first. Yeah, you know, it's interesting if I reflect back on <clears throat> January and February, we were off to actually a record start and, and excited for this amazing year that was um, going to unfold. And then, yes, um, everything shifted. So we were pursuing what I would call a producing strategy. We were, we just added some team members. We were ready to go. We had some really aggressive sales targets set and some very exciting new offerings. So we, were, we went from that producing mode to what I would call a stabilizing strategy. So um, we talk a lot about, you know, we, we shifted from that to this, and then it was, it was um, abrupt, but as we all know, we've been in this now for several months. So while it was an abrupt change at first, we've definitely been able to settle into our new strategy and figure out what that means for how we all do our work. What about you, David? Yeah, so uh, as Tom mentioned, I started in March. I started on March 2nd. So I got one semi-normal week in the office and then the wow. next week it just went crazy. Um, and it really did. I, so when the search committee of the board was interviewing me, I had a 180 day plan. The organization was reaching, nearing the end of a three year strategic plan. The pre, you know, retiring CEO was passing off the reins. All of what I was doing was gearing up for this next strategic planning process. And two weeks, it's just shoved that under the desk and, and it really became a super reactive mode. So our organization serves six, 7,000 people with disabilities in central Indiana each year. And we do it from everything from hands-on therapy to connecting people to work. Um, we have a couple of our own income, earned income ventures that are affirmative employers in the manufacturing industry. So it's a pretty diverse organization. And we really did have to become reactive in the sense that there was no longer a one-size-fits-all you know, for any portion of the organization. And it really was reactive at the very granular level. Um, as Heather mentioned, we've been in this for um, several months now. We have beginning to emerge back into the strategic planning process. What we've had to do in the last several months in engaging people with telehealth, working remotely, it's informing actually our strategic plan. It's actually accelerated some strategic objectives we've always wanted to do, but never had the time or didn't think we had the time. And clearly we did. So it, it really did. It shifted, turned our, our world upside down. Mark, how about you? Yeah, and David, I would really agree with that last comment, uh, and, and I'll touch upon that just in terms of it actually driving some of the outcomes we're hoping to get to faster. But uh, I think like everybody else would say, 
you changed pretty quickly there in March. Fortunately, as a professional services firm, our company was able to, you know, there's not a manufacturing presence uh, where we were able to pivot and go 100% virtual. I, I was incredibly impressed by our colleagues and their resilience through it. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think what you probably see in a lot of organizations is engagement for a period there was, was pretty high around the idea of rallying behind how we're going to keep the business going and how we're going to support clients and how we're going to find a new way of working and how we're going to do things. And I think part of the challenge as we think about the, the strategy piece is, you know, I, I think if you look across Gallup, there's a lot of work on that. You just see organizational studies on engagement over the summer and it started to dip down in, in, in a way, People, managers getting burnt out and, and, and other leaders getting burnt out. And certainly we, we, we saw that as well, right? And the challenge with how do you get people excited about a new strategy or, or what the future strategy is while still trying to figure out what the day-to-day looks like in there, right? And, and I think that's a real thing that every organization struggles with in its own way or shape. I think one of the things to your point, David, that we've looked at and said, there's going to be new ways that we're going to have to create engagement and areas of emphasis. I think in our industry, a couple areas that have been really helped by this, number one, uh, in, in benefits uh, and, and, and dealing in that employer-employee relationship around uh, compensation and other things, the digital nature of it, right? right, Bringing that into the 21st century for folks, you know, driving more uh, of a digital experience. That's a really good thing. Before, you know, it was very, you know, physical intensive, and that's changed. The other thing is, I think the emphasis around mental health, which for a while, telemedicine and mental health, I would think are two other things that are really important that for a while have been relevant. We've talked about them a lot, but people haven't necessarily gravitate. Now, you, now you're being forced into the position of having to really focus on that as an organization. And that theme of resilience uh, has, has really shown through. So I think it's allowing us to have new conversations with clients uh, or, or same conversations, but with a new uh, layer of emphasis. And, uh, and that part's been energizing and exciting for the team. Thank you. How have you been able to balance um, focusing on the short-term immediate things that we have to do to sort of make sure everything stays running with keeping an eye on longer term strategic priorities that still remain relevant. How do you balance those, those two things? So I wonder if I could start with you, David. Yeah, so uh, we kind of almost started immediately on keeping, you know, like, as reactive as we became, we, we kept one eye always on the future. So a good portion of our staff no interruption in work whatsoever. They had to continue to either be in or working remotely as, as solidly as they could just because of the needs of the people we serve certainly aren't going away during this time. But we did have a number of people because we did have some families think, oh, I can put some therapy services on hold for a couple of weeks and that, that'll be fine. Um, so we did have a lot of folks with some time on their hands. Um, and since we had a PPP loan, it, it encouraged us to keep everybody whole. Uh, we took those folks that had capacity and we advanced five strategic initiatives. And, and again, these were things that we thought were, were part of our future. We've always known they would be part of our future. And so we, we got them, uh, got, chose five leaders and those five leaders, you know, got volunteer groups from these folks that had capacity and really began to work on advancing those. Um, you know, a great example of one of those is with all the therapy services we provide, we don't have a web portal uh, for families, whether it's paying bills, rescheduling appointments, 
things that would make it so much easier for the families of, of children we serve. And so we had a whole team of people working on a project plan on how we can do that either with our current EMR or go, let's go find another EMR. And that was just one example of the five that really did allow us to keep our focus. As I've mentioned, we're now, we're now beginning to advance our strategic planning process, informed by a lot of what we were doing. Um, but it really, it has, we're doing so nervously. We, we check the Indiana Department of Health website every day at noon, just like everybody else. We're watching what's happening. And we're, we're, we have one foot on the gas pedal and one foot on the brake right now. And, and we'll see which way it goes. Thank you. Heather, what are you, what are you doing in your industry? Yeah, so we're in the leadership development space. So, um, you know, we, we've had a strategic plan for, you know, reaching more leaders and in, increasing our, our training and growing. So, I mean, those goals were still there, but I think the biggest shift has been being very transparent about what's important right now. So, I mean, those broad categories of our goals about kind of engagement of our team, growth into new markets, profitability, top line revenue. I mean, those, those categories of goals remain. However, we did adjust and really shifted our focus there to be more about um, client retention in the near term. And I think the most significant thing that I tried to do was increase my communication with the team. And we actually had a cadence of weekly, for a while there, weekly webinars where I was saying, you know, the three most important things right now. And I was challenging myself, you know, each week to really boil it down to help people know where to focus. And then I think the other thing when you're toggling between, you know, longer term strategic and near term tactical, um, it's really all about how do we share the information? How are we doing? Um, information and data is very reassuring in an uncertain environment. So where I, where I could continually share data, this is, this is the number of outreach, this is the touches, this is how it's ending up for us. Um, I think that was helpful. And then just more generally um, from a leadership perspective, it's empathy. So, you know, I'm, I'm managing the business kind of on two levels, but the way that I'm interacting with employees is in the moment right now and and, it, and a lot of it was really understanding and listening to what's going on in their world their fears being empathetic to that and then honestly displaying a lot of grace initially as people were setting up their home work environments and school is happening at home and you know all the all the things i mean we we now all lived it for so long but empathy and grace there initially was huge thank you mark how about you yeah, really, really well said on that last point, Heather. Those are so, um, so critical uh, for the employees and their families um, that are that are around. Um, I, I think the short term, so um, would probably sound similar to what you've heard. I, I would uh, draw out that for us in the short term, during that period, we created uh, a separate work team, right, to, to manage that process. We were meeting daily and our goal was focused on, number one, our, our team, does our team have what they need to be successful? So does they, do they have the right equipment? Do they have the right resources at home? Um, uh, do, they, uh, do they have the communication from us to have the, uh, uh, you know, the confidence in what we're doing as an organization? Like Heather mentioned for us, we set up uh, at first bi-weekly, then uh, now it's been something we've adopted as a business strategy moving forward weekly, which is an all team 
Zoom. So we come on uh, and we give uh, an update on the, on the business every week, every Tuesday morning at nine o'clock. Uh, we also implemented as a result of that, we were finding that people were getting burnout really quickly and having just on too many, like even though there wasn't travel, there were too many Zooms. So we, we uh, quickly instilled something every Tuesday and Thursday from one to three o'clock, which we call universal focus time, which is the idea that there is a universal hold on every calendar in the company during those two hours. Each, um, so technically four hours a week where folks can actually focus on getting work done. Um, and I think, so there were a lot of short-term priorities that we needed to do to create better working patterns, you know, deliveries for folks on Friday to, to create um, some, 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 um, uh, enjoyment for them and their families. And then I think the long-term piece has been really important. And to be honest, initially that was difficult to kind of manage a little bit because there was so much uncertainty about, well, what are the optics going to be if we start to talk about X and people are feeling Y, right? Are we going to look like we don't have our act together in that space? And so, you know, we have kept those, those, those teams were separate and we kept teams, we EOS type model that we use as uh, strategic rocks for the organization. So we've kept moving that forward. And I think um, those organizational priorities have had, you know, the kind of business priorities have changed as a result of COVID in terms of topics to cover, you know, things we want to address. What are the things that we, does it really make sense to invest in this because we no longer have everybody wanting to meet in person or, to, you know, so, so it's, it's adjusted different variables in terms of how we've done that. But um, for us, it was really important to kind of call out two separate things to be able to, to help folks identify where, where am I focused? Am I focused on the short term here? Am I focused on the long term? And how do I move that forward? Right. And I really want to pick up on um, two themes that um, are coming out of this discussion, and that is uh, this notion of empathy and supporting our employees, and how do we put things in place to support them so that they're able to do um, their jobs as effectively as they can, and also manage everything else that is happening in their lives. So. I'd like to ask how you as leaders have been able to support the mental health of your teams. Um, and so um, Heather, if I could start with you on that. Yeah, I think um, really just checking in. Um, and you know, we're all accustomed to checking in on business objectives. How, how is this project doing? How are we coming on this? The shift for me very quickly was the priority was checking in on people personally. How is the transition to having your kids home with you doing school going? How is your husband doing with, you know, he's used to traveling and announcing golf matches all over the country and now he's home with you every day. I mean, these are, these are significant transitions. Um, so I think when leaders are willing to be brave and kind of cross that professional bridge a little bit into the personal, that's where it starts. You have to build safety, psychological safety, and you have to be consistent enough in your, in your, you know, inquiry into how they're doing and be genuine about it before someone will feel like they can share. I think the second thing, so that intention around asking about personal wellness as well as business is one thing. The second thing is um, personal vulnerability. Anytime a leader can lead with you know, I'm having a terrible day. Here's what happened. You know, I woke up and this is how it was supposed to go and this is what happened. And, or I'll be honest, I'm feeling really down today or I'm, I'm feeling really uncertain. I, I hope this is how things are gonna turn out, but right now, today, I'm not sure. Those moments are like gold in terms of creating that safety and creating an environment where employees 
feel, they don't just hear it, but they feel that it's okay to have a bad day. It's even okay to feel really down and depressed in the midst of this. So, you know, I mean, I, I have had employees battling depression. I've had periods in my life where I've battled depression. Just to simply say that sentence um, for many people is, is like oxygen that they can breathe. It's like, what? Really? We can talk about this at work? So, um, and it's really important because um, people can't perform at a high level at work if they are suffering um, physically or mentally. So I, I believe strongly that we, we have to create work environments where leaders can kind of enter that space and where coworkers and colleagues can look out for one another. That was kind of the other strategy. I mean, more than once, I remember calling someone else on the team and saying, hey, I know you're working closely with so-and-so. Can you just let me know if, if you see or hear anything that makes you concerned? And that also sends a message of like, we're in this together and we have to look out for one another. Thank you. Mark, how about your organization? How are you doing with mental health support for your employees? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you always feel like as an organization, you want to be doing more, there's more you could be doing. And uh, I, I think that's probably always the case. It, it, it's interesting to me that for, for us, what seems like something that would be so obvious, right? Like leading with empathy, um, you know, focusing on people's mental health, supporting their family. Heather's exactly right. That's that's what's needed and has always been needed. Yeah, right, right exactly. It's not like this is like some some brand new mm -hmm. aha moment that, oh, wow, those are really, yeah, that's really nice. It's kind of like when people talk about millennials and they're like, gosh, millennials like to feel connected and they like to feel valued. <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, don't humans, you know? So um, so it's kind of like right now as well. It's People are like, oh, oh man, you know, how do I do that more effectively? These are great conversations. So there, there is good to come mm -hmm. from some of these types of things, provided that organizations figure out how to maintain that the focus on those items. I, I think, you know, there's, there's just this human, there's this raw human element to this year, right? There's this shared anxiety, this shared suffering, this shared like uncertainty of what's going to happen and being real about that. I love Heather's comment about that. Just, just being open and vulnerable and honest and real. And I, and I, um, I just have to think too, one of the other things for us when we think about mental health managers uh, are put in a really uncomfortable position this year. Lead, you know, leaders are in, a, in an uncomfortable position. Human resource leaders are feeling like, why is this my burden now to make sure people are, you know, I, I'm not equipped to do that. Or, or, or and, and then managers, your day-to-day -day managers are put in a really uncomfortable position. And I think for so much of time, managers have led through visibility, right? On the whole, managers have seen people, oh, that person's working, they're, they're physically there, right? And now, I've got to find new ways to measure that. But what happens if somebody's struggling? What do I say? What do I not say? And so you're seeing more people do mental, uh, mental health first aid training to actually start to go into organizations and figure out how can I actually help equip people to know what to listen for. When somebody says something about depression or suicide or something like that, what, what, how, do I, how do I react? What do, what do I do? How do I, how do I help you? What are the signs to be listening? People just, and you're not trying to create a bunch of um, you know, behavioral specialists, but you're trying to help bring that conversation forward in a new way. And I think as organizations helping coach on what it means to be empathetic as an associate, as a leader, as a manager, what does it mean to support people from a mental health perspective? What does it mean to create a resilient workforce? Those types of conversations are really important and ones that I, I hope 
are just the big, we're kind of the tip of the iceberg around trying to dive into those more for, for folks. And at the end of the day, it is, there are, there are very few things that aren't more fun when you get to do around a group of people, right? You know, nobody likes sitting in front of Zoom. I would rather be in the room with everybody here uh, and all the people making faces at my comments right now or whatever, right? Falling asleep. And, and instead we have to do this virtually. So um, the idea, just accepting the fact that we like, to, as humans, we like to be together. We like to do that. So finding ways to still maintain some level of, of human connection. Thank you, David. Yeah, I mean, on top of, of, of what they've said, and then on top of everything else that's happened with the pandemic, I mean, in May, we had George Floyd die in, in Minneapolis and some subsequent events that have thrown our country in some turmoil. We're probably in the most politically divisive climate we've seen in over 100 years at least. Is there an election and, coming up, David? <laughs> yeah. um, and people are, are stressed about that on top of their personal lives. And it's, it is very real. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where even where I try and keep things in perspective, it affects me to, to some extent. And I, what we've also had to do is, I mean, on top of the communication, it's, it's finding that balance between having enough answers that you can gain the trust of people that you're in your leadership, but then balancing it with being very vocal that you don't have all the answers and we need your input. Um, you know, a couple instances where that happened. I mean, I started a daily email communication. We have 240 some employees scattered throughout the region. So a lot of face-to-face -face contact, even by Zoom, isn't always possible. And so it really, it, we had a lot of people really depending on those daily communications. Um, with everything happening and us scrambling and our world turned upside down, we didn't acknowledge anything about the racial unrest. And we almost alienated a good section of our employees in doing it. And, and the only way around that was to keep my door open and I'll be in that office or I'll be available by Zoom at any point. Any employee in this organization can come find me and talk to me about anything they want to talk, talk about. I mean, it wasn't as about strategic planning anyway for, for a period of time. I, this, is, this, this is what my job became. Um, and, and also on top of that, I'm, I was stepping in a role as the third leader in over 40 years of this organization. Wow. So this, this is even further instability that, that our employees are feeling. And so, like I said, really, the, the biggest thing I could do is just my vulnerability. Not only is this affecting me, but freely admitting, I don't have all the answers. I need your help. I need your input. You see things on the ground, how it affects the people we serve, how it affects your coworkers that I will never see unless you speak up. And then we can talk about it. And I, <laughs> I have spent an hour and a half talking to this employee who feels one way about a certain situation, an hour and a half talking to another who feels the exact opposite about it and just listening and, and bringing it back to, well, we, we all still work at the same place. We all agree on what our mission is. We, we, we can come back to that, but, let, but before we can come back to that and, and following and pursuing our mission, we have to stop and acknowledge our feelings that are influencing our actions as well. Absolutely. We've got a great question coming in from the Q&A. Meg asks, Building off Mark's comment about our collective desire to be together in person, what are some examples of creative ways your companies have encouraged teamwork and even social events? So Mark, I wonder if you've got any, uh, anything to share on that? Yeah, uh, Meg, thanks for the question. And actually, I'd, I'd love to hear if there are other folks on the, um, uh, on the uh, Zoom here that, that are able to chime in with their own thoughts. I, I'm, I'm always looking for more ideas as well. Initially, we did a lot of uh, a lot of things, uh, such as you know virtual events. So everybody 
whether it was trivia, happy hours, whatever the case might be. Um, th those were very common. We did door drops uh, with, uh, we took clients that were in the food business or just community partners in the food, food or drink business. And we bought a bunch of stuff, dropped it off for folks to, to, to do deliveries. But then once we started to be able to get together in small groups, little things like te teams have actually worked on small teams saying, Hey, maybe one day a week or, or, or during this routine time, we're going to get together in person in a safe, uh, responsible manner. And we're going to either do lunch or we're going to start to work together and work, you know, collaborate differently. Um, I, I think for us, we've had some happy hours uh, that we were able to do on Fridays uh, for folks that felt like they wanted to do it open air, uh, enough space, people wearing masks. And uh, the idea of just getting together uh, is like, Man, it felt like when you go and you get back that, that first week and you're like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? How are you? It's just crazy, right? Even though you've seen each other on Zooms, there's that, 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 that reaction. Um, and so we've got more stuff planned to be able to do that. We're, we're trying to be mindful. I think one thing that's going to be a challenge for folks is balance it. Two things that I think are challenges for me. I'm just going to throw out the challenge, even though you're looking for solutions. But I think the challenges are, um, number one, how do you make everybody feel included, right? With varying degrees of, of uh, comfort. Somebody could have a a compromised immune system. They could be living with somebody who has a compromised immune system. And so you don't want to start to create an environment where you start excluding people. So how do you create sort of hybrid arrangements or things like that? The second thing, and I think this is going to be a challenge on a macro level, but as the weather gets colder, as people's desire to, you know, all the stuff we've done so far has been outside. How do you find some more creative ways to do that? Um, and, and I think there are, you, you could do event or small groups or things like that to try and uh, try and peel that together. So I'd love to hear any more solutions. Um, but I think one of the things, one of the watch outs is as you try to do more of that, uh, creating alienation for folks that aren't in a position to be able to do that as well. Sure. David, what about your organization? Hey, well, again, with, with 240 employees scattered about it, it, it really is hard and even a typical social event. So what, and what we would consider a typical social event is at least everybody can get to one of three of our locations uh, before Christmas for luncheon it's just too many people in too tight a space right now. So we're, we're working on that now. Um, but we have been able, at least at the, the team level, to encourage folks. And it, it is, it's a mix of, can you do something virtually, a virtual happy hour or a virtual lunch um, where there is no work involved? <laughs> there, you don't have to look at what, what you look like on camera and, and how professional you are and how engaged you are. You're, you're eating lunch and, and that sort of thing. Um, it, it really has been a challenge though. That That is something I will, freely admit we're still struggling with and, and um, trying to figure this one out ourselves. It, it really does. We have people now that, you know, we have things that have to happen face-to-face -face in our facilities, our therapy services, uh, serving children with autism has to happen face-to-face. -face. And it's also a challenge because there is no social distancing in, in therapy. Children with autism don't know social distancing. They also can't wear masks because of sensory issues. Also, they're trying to communicate and learn to communicate but through visual cues. You can't do that with a mask on. So you have some of our staff that have to be in the building and in this situation. Well, for us to do that safely, we're actively encouraging our other staff. If you don't have to be in the building, do not come in. And, you know, that everybody felt, okay, that's a great solution for the first couple of months. But now you're, we're really starting to see, you know, people miss their coworkers from other departments. They miss seeing each other in the hallways. And so we're working our way through how can we 
we create safe situations like that where we can get folks back in. But to Mark's point, we're, we're struggling with how do you do that equitably or, or make sure you don't leave people out uh, when you've got 240 employees. Right. Heather, how about you? Yeah, so I mean, we've, we've done some of the similar things that have been mentioned, the happy hours, the fun get-togethers. I think maybe a couple different ideas, which were ideal when the weather was nice, but our office um, is near the Monon Trail, so we've had some get-together, ride our bikes down to Sun King, you know, and, and be outside and socially distanced was a really good one. We had one, like, donut and coffee thing in the, um, in the morning. Um, where people brought lawn chairs and sat in our parking lot. Th those worked fine when the weather is nice, but um, the challenge really is going to be, and I was thinking about this with my kids too. I mean, quarantine and everything, it was really hard, but it was also sort of a blessing. I mean, the weather was nice, spring was springing, we could be outside. This is going to be a whole different ball of wax um, in the winter months and, and with less sunshine and depression. I mean, it's, it's significant. I think one change maybe that I'll share, we, we typically do a big um, holiday dinner. Spouses, we do awards. It's a really special. Of course, we're not doing that this year, but what we're doing instead is taking that money that we would typically spend, dispersing that out in gift cards. We're keeping the time on everyone's calendar. And we're asking each couple, we're all going to go out if we can, either go out to dinner safely or order in or cook something special, one of the three. And all at the same time, we're still going to be toasting to the year. We'll find a way to be video connected. I mean, it's not the same, but um, we'll still try to have that moment of celebration and connectivity. Mm -hmm. Great, all really good ideas, all really good ideas. Um, we do have some questions that came from our audience that are focusing more on kind of nuts and bolts of how we're dealing with our employees during this time. And one of them deals with annual performance reviews. Everyone's favorite topic, annual <laughs> reviews. Um, how are you dealing with annual performance reviews? David, if I could start with you on that one. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting challenge. We're getting ready to, to head into that season ourselves. We, we do some these quarterly check-ins. Um, it, it really is, we've had serious discussions throughout the managers and directors, of, even at the programmatic level, of how we want to proceed because we recognize um, people haven't been able to perform in the same way or because of circumstances, some people have had to do more in some situations, some have had, haven't had as much to do. Uh, that what it comes back down to, and, and this is true, I think, in the nonprofit arena, is people get into it, they have a high sense of fairness and a high sense of equity and inclusion and equal opportunity and equal treatment, or they wouldn't be in this field. And so they, they feel the workplace should reflect that as well. And that really went out the window two weeks in when we realized, nope, it is actually safer that we do not bring in. that don't need to be in the building to do their and it really has become this communication level of it's going to be on a very individualized basis we our managers and directors that are doing these reviews can consult up consult down etc um I, I was already facing the challenge again of being new I, I hadn't even gotten a chance to know those people that report to me even though i was acquainted with them for very many years but i didn't work as closely as with them as i do now and it it, it really will be shifting to more of a 
dialogical, you know, review that it, it's going to be a conversation about how they felt what they need. What was their challenges? Um, what do they wish they could have done better? What do they want to change when we're moving in the future? What do they feel like they stood, where they stood up and shown uh, in, in this process, et cetera. And really just to document on that and, and, and use this as a chance to really, to get to re get to know each other. I think is how we're going. Okay. Mark, what are you all doing? Yeah, uh, we've um, from a tactical perspective, we, we transitioned to a new performance um, review system uh, to help create a, a, a better experience for folks as that process is facilitated. I think the, the broader thing for me is, is how are, not just in an annual review process, but, but just how are those conversations going? between managers and employees and what should those look like and how should they, uh, what should they be focused on? And this goes back to part of my comment around really moving that transition. visibility. you know, how are we managing to just, right. And, and outcomes. And I think for organizations to figure out what is, what does success look like, right. For organizations and then for managers and leaders to figure out like, what is success in that role? Success isn't that you're, I turn around and you're always reliable and you're right there. Like success is, well, to figure out what success is, we got to actually figure out what the role is intended to do and why we do that and, you know, how, you know, how we define that. So I think it's forced us to have a lot of really good questions on a broader level, just about what is that process of management between a manager and an employee like, right? And, and how do we make sure that our managers are actually skilled in that area, right? That they're, or, or that, that's, that they're continuing to get improved skills, right? That there's a, you focus on that. And I think people, I think one of the toughest lines for people to balance, whether it's an ongoing review or an annual review is the idea of how do I tell somebody that they're not doing well, or how do I have, because it's a tough year, right? So how much of that to blame is really just on the year versus them as a person, or, you know, it might not even be that they're doing poorly, but they're maybe not creating the output that they used to do, right? Or, or they're not performing at the level they used to. So how do we have that? So I, I think it's really important as an organization that you're, um, you're, you're starting to acknowledge that as a real challenge that people are going through, right? As they try to manage and then start to work on how do you address that? How do you start to, to take action on that? So um, I, I would say broader than the annual performance review conversations, just that idea of how are we better equipping managers to be able to, to, to help have those conversations on an ongoing basis. Same question to you, Heather. Yeah, I mean, we, like um, Mark has shared, we worked really hard to pivot to more of a coaching culture where we're, we're talking ongoing about performance and we're, we're building our capabilities to have candid conversations and even for colleagues to share feedback with one another that it's not always manager to employee. Um, so, I mean, I, I would say our process hasn't changed a whole lot. What has changed is in an environment where everybody's remote, you really have to raise your game in terms of clarity, like Mark was saying. What does success look like in this role? And are we on the same page about that? Because I have no idea if it's taking you eight hours a day to get this done or two hours a day because you're running a school in your dining room, and I don't really care. If we're agreed on the outcomes, and those outcomes are aligned to those strategic objectives that I had to, you know, adjust in order to, to keep the business thriving in the midst of this, we're good. Um, so that clarity about outcomes and getting people on the same page so that when you get together for a coaching conversation, 
it's not like talking about rear view mirror. Well, let's talk about what happened, you know, for the past six months. It's let's talk about the real work that we're doing together and how's it going and how can I help? So that coaching shift, I think is huge. The other thing that is important to me as we go into our end of year meetings is it's a time for um, instead of me giving feedback to employees, it's a time for me to listen to what they need to share with me. I I'm looking forward to flipping it. That, you know, for Andy, be focused on what have we learned and how do we apply those learnings going forward in 2021? And if we can all adopt that mindset, we, we will survive, we will thrive, and we will all be better for it. So I just want to eliminate for my team, this isn't a year of, you know, keeping score as much as it is a year of learning and, and really harvesting. Um, and when, when, you're, when you go through something like this and you, you shift to like a fully remote kind of company and everything's happening in this way, you have to be better at everything. You got to be better at communicating. You got to be better at clarifying your goals. You got to be better at coach. It just raises the bar for all of those leadership and management things. And I think that's the real definition of resilient leadership is we're able to rebound, bounce back better than we were before we endured this really hard thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, we don't have all the answers. I'd say my, my best hope with end of year reviews is that I'm gonna learn a whole lot about how I can be a better leader for this team and how to work all that into our strategic plans going forward. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a really important shift to focus on what have we learned mm -hmm. as opposed to what have you done. Yeah, uh, thank you. You said you said that far, far better than I did, yeah. Um, I am definitely, we're in the midst of performance reviews. Uh, here on the faculty as well. I think that's a really important thing um, to sort of bring back to, to the team. We have a great question coming from the Q&A. Um, onboarding new staff in a virtual environment. So much of onboarding involves getting acclimated to the culture and all of that. How are you approaching that if, if you have brought on new team members? Um, Mark, if I could start with you. Sure, Jim, great question. The, um, I, 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 uh, I would say that we've done this uh, both ways. We've done a good job in some cases. We've also not done a great job. So I can, um, I can probably speak to both sides. But I think a few observations I would have as ha having gone through that and seen what's, what's worked or not worked. Number one, um, it, it requires extra effort and intentional effort from the leader and the manager, right? So it, it is not just a turnkey thing right now, right? Because we're not just dealing with processing paperwork, we're dealing with actual engagement. How do you transmit a culture? How do you how do you overlay a culture for somebody who is sitting in their own house or maybe doing a hybrid approach? You've got to remember that onboarding in a new company a lot of times is an isolating feeling. You're walking into a new environment. You're uh, you want to impress. You don't want to let anybody down. You 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 um, want to make a good impression. All those things. Now, when you're doing that, uh, you're doing that in an environment where you don't. You, you could be really isolating, like super isolating. And so I think when we've had, when we've had managers of those roles who have taken that initiative personally, like I am going to make sure that I'm going to make a human connection. I'm going to make a really good connection, not just with me, but with the others on the team. That's where it starts. Like forget everything else first. It's the idea that I want to make sure this person 
is included and starts to build human connection with other people that they're going to interact with. Right. Um, and so one thing, one lesson for organizations is you can't assume a manager knows how to do that or is in a position to be able to do it. Right. Like you'd look back at that and say, well, how, how did that not, I mean, well, that seems like a miss. It's like, well, did anybody sit down and talk to the manager to say, well, we got to rethink the way we do this. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? And they might not have been comfortable. So from a practical perspective, I think the most important thing that we've seen success is how do you make people feel included, right? As part of the team. So how do you get there? You make sure that the manager and the folks that are responsible for the onboarding actually know what the heck they're doing and actually have a framework that says, this is how we want this to go differently. We can't just make, I think the failure a lot of times is around assumptions or, or, or relying on past principles of onboarding um, or just making it purely through technology or digital you got to replicate the cultural experience of being able to engage with the team that requires a human connection that requires helping people know how to do that more effectively. Mm -hmm. Heather, how about your organization? Have you onboarded anyone and how did it go? Well, we, um, we hired two new salespeople in February. So then everything kind of unraveled, you know, in March. So we literally lived through this of figuring out, wow, okay, this is a whole different deal. Um, it's all the things Mark said. We, what we tried to do is create more points of connection for each of those people. So where normally these new salespeople would be in our office, attached to our sales manager's hip, sitting in his office and just sponging and absorbing off, well, and picking up our culture because they're in the building and they're hearing how people talk and they're engaging. What we tried to do is make sure that each of those new employees had um, very intentional connections with other people across the different departments and that we were not scripting out, but being far more directive about you need to have this many calls and you need to make sure you're covering these things. Like Mark said, you know, it's, Onboarding employees when you're when you're in the same building, gosh, think of it. I mean, think how much we took it for granted um, before. It was like people just learn because they're there and they can they can experience who you are. Boy, when it's virtual, you you've got to create it. Um, so yeah, it's it has been all virtual. Even still, we did have some moments where we had people socially distance again come to the office for some some you know, social type things. I think the other key to onboarding is to remember that um, there's a lot to learn in the onboarding phase. So keeping that learning mindset is, to, you know, there are books that we can read and discuss. There, there are ways that we can bond together and kind of step through things together if we create those moments. David. Yeah, so, um... Fortunately, most of the people we've onboarded since February have been folks that are in those kind of hands-on positions, so it's impossible to do a virtual because they're going to be doing face-to-face -face services anyway. Um, our onboarding process is traditionally, it's, it's, you know, your first day is a lot with HR and a lot with your manager and, and really just meeting your team and et cetera. And then, you know, you're working with your team for a period of time. And then when, when we have a kind of a critical mass of new starts, we'd have this one day kind of get together orientation where executive leadership are talking about organizational culture and what the rest of the organization does and the history of the organization, et cetera. Um, I, our 
leaders and directors that had to be creative and doing something more virtual and integrating them into their teams with that. What they have learned have us all thinking about that one day experience. And did we have that designed right? And so we're actually in the process of redesigning that whole experience. We, we feel like it was too much sitting and listening to talking heads, not getting up enough and, and moving around into where people are actually doing work and getting to meet each other, et cetera. It, is, uh, it, it really has been one of those experiences where we're just, it's evolving as we go, but, but I think if there's anything positive to come out of this, you know, just like our strategic objectives that got advanced during, during the pandemic, this is one of those things that we're using as a chance to make improvements based on what this is exposed as a shortcoming. Wonderful. I want to sort of close with a discussion of your leadership growth and what our audience can learn about growing as a leader and becoming resilient during challenging times. So Heather, what have you learned about yourself as a leader? And if there was one leadership quality that you feel like you have leaned on more uh, during the past six months, what would that be? You know, trying times, you do learn about, a lot about yourself. I think what, I, what I've learned about myself as a leader is that I can do difficult things. This has been hard in many ways, but in many ways we, we've, we've done it. We've, we've done the things. So I, I, I guess I've um, grown in a sense that, okay, this was really challenging, but we took it one day at a time and we've um, emerged and we're okay. And even growing in some areas. So um, th that's been important for me. And then I think, um, terms of a skill set or I would have to say it's been emotional intelligence. Each of my team members has needed something incredibly different from me and from the organization. Their personal scenarios have been radically different. So the ability to kind of toggle from, from a call to a call like very quickly, um, I've really called upon my emotional intelligence skills, namely empathy how do I meet people where they are? How do I go in with a heart and a mind to really listen before I even try to serve or teach or coach? So um, EQ, I think, I mean, you can have all the intellect in the world. You can have all the best ideas and strategies for how to re-engineer your operation. Um, in a place where they can um, evolve and um, move forward, those strategies don't count for a lot. So for me, it was really just about connecting with each of my team members to make sure they felt secure and safe and they at least knew for the week what was important and how to align their daily activities with those kind of three important things that the business was focused on that week. Great, David. Um, I think it's, I, I've developed a lot <laughs> in the last few months. It, it really has been a, a challenge. I mean, I, I knew what my strengths were coming in. You know, I had to catalog them and explain them to a search committee of a board that this is why I want the job and this is what I bring to the job, et cetera. And I also knew what I was going to have to develop uh, moving into this role here uh, around communication style, uh, around making myself not just available, but present a, a lot. Um, but some of this, and 
I'm, I'm a naturally introverted person. So I knew that was already going to be a bit of a challenge anyway. Uh, what I've learned though is it's really been fun. It, it also is slowed me down a little bit, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I, I think I can take off at 100 miles an hour, not realizing that when you're, you're spinning like this as a big wheel at the top of the circle, you're making everybody else spin really hard and really just being conscious of the way people work and what they need in those situations. The other thing I've learned though is, is what to do with myself in my off time. That it, it has to be conscious. I mean, I, I literally have to consciously decide how I'm gonna care for myself in the off time to make sure because it is exhausting. I mean, you, you're, you're 240 people are already looking at you because you're the new guy um, and you're the third leader in over 40 years. Now they're looking at you because their safety is on the line. They're stressed about not only the pandemic, but other things, personal things. Um, that's an exhausting place to be. So I really have had to learn that my weekends or my off time, it, it, I have to be very conscious of I'm doing something that really is making me better and, and taking care of me. That's, that's been a big learning experience because that's not something I've ever done. Definitely good advice. Mark. I'm sure there's, um, and I think there's even a few associates of mine on the call. I'm sure they, they would give you a laundry list of things that I, I need to do more effectively or that I've learned or that, 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 have, that have come out here in, in this year. And I think that's part of it. And that's the beauty of it, right? Is that, uh, is that you can constantly improve and constantly get better. I think one of the dichotomies for me that I, that I look at this year is I'm, I'm a bit of an, of a, of an optimist, right? I'm a, um, I'm always kind of, uh, positive and I, I try to be positive and, and optimistic about what lies ahead right uh, where that sometimes has uh, backfired for me a little bit is it, it does not create as much vulnerability right mm -hmm. uh, the idea that kind of brighter brighter times ahead and you know this is well oh, negative situation quickly let's move it into a positive one here's a and I, I, I think for me sometimes one of the things that I've learned is uh, I don't allow people to properly cope with that or, or recognize, you know, kind of go through that journey. I, I, I move quick from one, from the negative to the positive. And I don't think, I, I don't think I do a, a good job or, uh, you know, I'm trying to work on that, right. Of doing a better job in terms of uh, letting people process through those emotions together. Right. And, and so I think this year has been a good wake up call for me in terms of, Hey, you don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes you, you have to be there for people, right. You've got to just be there to, to support what they're going through and, and, um, and, and just be, be comfortable with kind of the uncomfortable nature of, you know, people's individual journeys around how they, they process through things with that. And so I think that um, I, I have been so incredibly impressed with the human resolve of our team members, of clients, uh, you know, of community. You mentioned, David, things that have happened in the community this year and, and things that, um, things that people are, are, are going through on all kinds of levels, right? We're talking about health, you know, death and families and, and social racial injustice. And we're super heavy, super businesses closing family, family businesses closing that have been around forever, right? These neighborhood establishments. And, um, on one hand, how troubling and, 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 and uncomfortable that's been and, and sad, in so many ways. And then on the other hand, to watch the same people get back up, the same people figure out how do I pivot the business? The same people say, how do I help my, I might be in a more fortunate, how do I help somebody else up? Right. Uh, those have been the stories that I, I think are so inspirational and, um, and just been, been really, uh, that, that will, I hope, you know, as, as, as 2020 is that, uh, 
uh, is is that awful world. We were talking about other Halloween costumes. Somebody could just go as 2020, I guess, yeah. and scare the crap out of everybody, right? But um, but you know, as, as awful as it is, I, I really do hope that organizations that people are able to take uh, this situation and some of what it's been able to shine the spotlight on and turn those into to new ways that that drive uh, professional and personal lives forward. Well, Mark, David, and Heather, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you've given us lots of great insights. So if you have any closing uh, remarks or things you'd like to share with our audience, um, I am sure they are all ears. So David. Uh, well, I just want to share. I mean, we if, if something related to disability services and making sure people are included in work and life and play and learning, et cetera, uh, in the greater Indianapolis area is something that's near and dear to you. We we want all the, the help and support we can get, uh, whether it's volunteering um, from a governance standpoint, or we, I, I mentioned some earned income ventures in the manufacturing world, like for instance, one of them is a, a performance brake line manufacturer that for automobiles that, that we, a business that we own. Um, you know, that sounds like something we need some MBA uh, volunteer advice for when you got a nonprofit running a business like that. Um, so really anybody that wants to get involved, I, I know Chelsea will be able to put you in touch we would very much love to talk to you. Wonderful. Heather? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, we're in the business of leadership, building better leaders with our clients. So, I mean, if, if any of you are seeking um, a thinking partner or, or you, you see that, you know, this could actually be a great time for development, I would encourage you to, to reach out to me. I mean, we have a team of people who can help and, um, we, we really, we use a lot of analytics to help people understand strengths. And that this can be a really great time for that because you need people with all different kinds of strengths now than maybe you even needed before. So this is a beautiful time to see all of your team members in a new light and what they can contribute now that maybe you never saw before. So teams are starting to kind of realign and reconfigure. So we would love to come alongside any of you who need some of that kind of assistance or training or even the human capital analytics to make wise decisions during this time. So thank you. It's been a pleasure to share perspectives. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I would just echo uh, Heather and, and David. Thanks for sharing those thoughts as well. I mean, um, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, I was writing, busy writing down some of the things you were sharing because we're going to take those and, and try and adopt those. I'm sure. Um, and then um, I would just echo if there, if there's anybody out there who I put my email address in the chat too, if that would be helpful. I, um, I, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk or just. If you want to do an old-fashioned phone call as well, instead of having to sit through a Zoom, I'm happy to talk on the phone. And and uh, if you've got something you're working through that you just want to bounce an idea off, doesn't have to be about benefits or what people are doing in healthcare. Uh, happy to talk about that topic as well. But also, just more importantly, like if there's something that that's on your mind, that something you're struggling with, something your organizations, and there's something we might have done, we might have learned a, a lesson or two. Uh, I'm more than happy to share that. So. Uh, just appreciate the time and, and Hillary, thank you so much for, for moderating the panel. Oh, it has been my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us and our audience. Of course, of course, go dogs, right? <laughs>
Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Lazy School of Business podcast channel. Be sure to check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.